Everyone say this with me this morning. To God be the glory. All right, now I'm going to give everybody else one more chance. Say this with me this morning. To God be the glory. I believe, we believe as a church, I'm sorry. Come on. I, I, sometimes, I, I, sometimes I do that like on purpose, and then sometimes I forget, and it's funny. Uh, we believe as a church, as I go into this message today, I want you to understand, uh, there are four core truths of the Assemblies of God, and we're an Assembly of God church, and I'm I'm ordained with the Assemblies of God. I didn't purchase it off the internet, like I worked really hard for my ordination. Um, We believe in the Assemblies of God, four core doctrines, and number one, number one is Jesus, Jesus is our Savior. That's A number one, like that's the heel He died on and I'll die with him. Jesus, the salvation only comes through the name and in the name of Jesus. Jesus is our savior. Number two, Jesus is our baptizer. Like it's his baptism. I'm not preaching on that today. I've preached on it before. I'll preach on it again soon. Jesus is our baptizer. Number three, we believe Jesus is our healer. It's like the number one way that he revealed who he was when he came. And he is still, and I'll get into some of that today. And then number, number four, we believe that Jesus is our, and Timothy, or Paul used with Timothy, our blessed hope. So Jesus is our hope, that he came and he's coming back. So we ain't here for this. Come on, this is preparation. That's why I don't believe in purgatory. We in purgatory. God is pruning right now. Okay, he is preparing right now. To be absent from here is to be there with him. I ain't stopping in between. You can stop somewhere if you want to, but I'm going to be with Jesus. Okay, here's what we believe. Jesus still heals. Now, I gave this point two weeks ago. Um, before I got to sit with my wife and, and listen to the word that God dropped on her heart about security and identity, mirror, mirror, seeing ourselves as he sees us. And I just want to, Let that message resonate today. Jesus still heals. But listen, limiting Jesus to the healing of a physical body misses the point of why he came to heal. James, the brother of Jesus, who by the way didn't believe in Jesus until after he left, according to most scholars. He wrote the book of James. He waits until what we call chapter 5. They didn't have chapters, they just wrote books. We added numbers later. But it's at the end of his book that he decides to deal with this issue. Why? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit knew that 2,000 years later, this was going to be a very controversial subject. That this subject, the subject of prayer and faith and, and healing and faith healing and all those things, was going to have a lot of questions and a lot of question marks. And it was going to be doubted and discussed and debated. And, and so here's what I want to do today. What I want to do today is I want to forget what we think. So what I want you to do is I want you to take what you think and just, I don't want you to completely just disregard it. I just want you to set it to the side for a minute. I want you to take your experience, and I'm not asking you to move on because that's stupid. We don't move on, we move forward. It's actually our trials that become our testimony, okay? It's the proof of the resurrection. The wounds of Jesus were the proof that Jesus was resurrected. So it's not what you can walk away from, it's what you can walk in. Come on, somebody. That is the testimony that God has for you, okay? So I'm not asking you to walk away from anything or move on. 
I'm asking you to move forward with me, but instead of moving forward in your experience, let's just see what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about this subject? That's what James is addressing. In James chapter 5, we're going to let the Bible speak for itself today. Despite our experience, despite our understanding, just what does the Word of God say? In the English Standard Version, verse 13, the Bible says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It's really good advice, by the way. Um, when you're suffering, when you're sick, when you're going through something that's bigger than you, uh, that's a great time to go to God. <laughs> um, the next part of this verse says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Isn't it funny that we blame God when bad things happen? We forget to give God glory when good things happen? The Bible still says every good gift comes from above. So if we're going to blame God or question God or ask why when bad things happen, then somebody better be giving glory when the good things actually start coming down. Probably should prepare because something bad's probably on the way too, but that's all right. He's still God. Hey, when, when you're cheerful... Give him the glory. Sing praise. Don't wait until you're suffering to go to Jesus. Go to Jesus about everything all the time. I like this next part, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the church office and ask for the pastor. Because he's the only one that can pray over anybody. No, hang on, hang on. I want you to notice it didn't ask, not even the pastor, but like the staff. No, look, please, look, listen. Please call the church office, Okay. Please go online and fill out a prayer PDF. Why? Because we have people who will call out your name in prayer. If you send me a message on Facebook, I might not see it till next year. But, but if you call the office, I may find out that day. So I'm not saying don't call the office. What I'm saying is James didn't say go to the pastor. Because James understood, I believe, this principle. Hear me. That the strongest churches are not the ones that can hire the most pastors. In other words, let me say, the strongest churches are not the ones that have the most paid staff members. The strongest churches are the ones that have so many unpaid people serving and doing ministry that the thing can't help but multiply. And an elder is anybody who has been born again, baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, sanctified, serving Jesus, following Jesus, whatever label you want to put on it, that has enough faith to just simply take the time. Maybe not even the faith. Maybe just the obedience to take the time to pray over somebody. Call the elders. Anybody that's been born again and is serving Jesus. And let them pray. Let them pray. Because God can do whatever he wants through anybody he wants to. And then the Bible says, anointing them with oil. Now, I don't know what's in this. This may be peanut oil. I don't know what kind of oil in it. May, we may have ordered it off of Amazon. This may be pressed from an olive off of the mountain that Jesus Christ preached on. I doubt it. It's probably not. It's probably oil, olive oil with some fragrance to fool, fool a few, few people. So why do we take this every Sunday and, and put it on our hands and, and lay our hands on people? Because that's how the supernatural glory... No, because that's what the Bible says. You know, I make a habit of just doing what God says. 
Because I believe, come on, when we do what God says, he'll do what he's done. (laughs) And he said, anoint your hands with oil. What kind of oil? I don't know, cooking oil, peanut oil, whatever kind of oil you got, olive oil. Not not Popeye's olive oil, but you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes maybe all you got some chicken grease. Put it on somebody. You know what, you know what this, the purpose of this is? Is to remind you that when that person receives healing, it wasn't you, it was him. It puts him in between you and them. So that you don't have to be perfect to put your hands on somebody and believe God's perfection. Anoint your hands with our priest way too long. In the name of the Lord, not your name. Don't come at a devil in your name. <laughs> Ends up like the sons of Sceva. I'll tell that story later. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith. Come on, it's going to heal. Wait a minute. thought we were talking about healing, James. James must have got distracted. Somebody called him about a stopped up toilet while he was trying to write. He came back. The Bible says it will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. When? Right then? And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then James says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Doesn't say anything about being forgiven when you confess to one another. Because only Jesus can forgive sin because Jesus is the only one that paid for sin. You can tell me all the sin you want to. I, I, can't, I mean, if you committed a sin against me, I can forgive the sin that you confessed to me. But I should have forgiven you a long time ago because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm called to let him do that for you. But I can't forgive sin. No man, woman, or child can forgive sin. Only the one who paid for the sin can forgive the sin. And so James says, when you confess the sin one to another and pray for one another, you don't just receive forgiveness. You can actually begin to experience healing. We call it freedom. That's why we have the groups and host the conference. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power. The prayer of a righteous person. What makes the person righteous? Well, that he who had no sin became sin that we may be made righteous. That's what the Bible says. Being in Christ makes us righteous. And when we pray, that prayer has, has what? It has great power. I love the English Standard Version of this because it translates it correctly. As it is working. I-N-G. Present progressive. Working. Because sometimes it's not just about the moment, you've heard me say this, but also about the mileage. Okay? Not just the decision, but the distance. Anybody can make a decision in a day. Can you go the distance for the rest of your days? That is the question. The difference is in the distance sometimes. But God can use either one. All right, so there's two extremes here. I've got to hurry. There's two extremes. There's on one end... The confessionist, okay, that's how we're going to entitle that group of people. These are extremes. Extremes are always potentially evil and always dangerous and sometimes confusing and cause heresy. On one end are the extremes, confessionism or confessionist. Uh, Benny Hinn actually renounced this type of Christianity because it's, it's not biblical Christianity. He renounced this just within the last two years. I hope I don't offend anybody. This is my personal opinion. I'm not reading you scripture right now. Just buckle up. If this offends you, just hang on. I'm sure I'll say something else to offend you too. Um, 
<laughs> a good example of, of this would be Kenneth Copeland. It's just a, a very renowned person that happens to be on TV a lot. Okay, this is like the, the name it and claim it. Come on, somebody, blab it and grab it. Believe it and receive it right now. Yeah, so, um, and listen, I'm, let me be careful because I'm not against confessing things that are not as though they were. In fact, I just referenced several scriptures. Confess your sins one to another that you may receive healing. Confess your sins to Jesus. He's faithful and just to forgive. Confess Jesus as Lord and you shall receive salvation. There's all kinds of powerful confessions. I believe in praying more in God's promises than my pain or problems. I confess the word of God. What I don't do is live in denial. And I don't hold God captive to being a genie out of my prayers. God is not interested in my materialism, especially if my materialism gets in the way of his salvation. So when somebody tells you to sow a seed of $1,000 so that you can receive your miracle, you open up the Bible and say, the miracle's already been done, sucker. All I have to do is believe in what God's already done. He doesn't need my money. He lets me give my money. There's a big difference. So I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not for the extreme of confessionism. Extreme. Over here on the other side are the cessationists. Or cessationism, which is that the gifts of God have ceased. Let me give you a good example. Again, just a person that would profess personally. I'm not trying to run over anybody with a bus. I'm just telling you, John MacArthur is a good example of a person like this. I will openly tell you, I don't like him. I don't like what he says. I don't like the way he preaches. I think that he needs to learn how to love people and lead more people, even than he already does. I don't like the idea, listen, of explaining away things in Scripture because an experience doesn't line up. I don't like the idea of taking 1 Corinthians 13, which is the one verse that really the cessationists point to, and there's a lot of verses there, but the idea that the day, when the day of perfection has come, they say that the day of perfection has already come, these things shall cease. That's where we get the word cessationist, that these things shall cease. The gifts shall cease. The tongues will cease. The prophecy will cease. Well, I've been looking around recently, and I have noticed that there's not a lot of perfection happening right now. In fact, it seems to the fleshly eye of this pastor that things seem to be going in the opposite direction of perfection. And so I don't believe that perfection has come. And I don't believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit... I don't believe that gift of healing and gift of faith and gift of discernment and gift of knowledge and gift of words and gift of tongues and gift of interpretation and gifts of prophecy have ceased. I actually believe they are more needed right now than they have ever been needed before in history. So I'm not a cessationist and I'm not a confessionist. So I don't live in denial and I don't deny God's ability. I like to find myself in scripture. So the question still remains. Why does it seem that God heals some people and he doesn't heal others? 
Boy, that's a, that's a tough one. Why does it seem like God intervenes in some situations and God doesn't hear about some situations? I don't know that I have the answer to that. But I do have a answer if you want to write it down today. This is my answer. You ready? I don't know. Anybody that tells you that they do know is only giving you a loose interpretation of the things that God said. By the way, from a limited perspective of where they are in life and on earth. So instead of spending my time focused on what I don't know, and by the way, that's a lot. About 98% of knowledge as a whole. Instead of focusing on what I don't know and what I don't understand, I like to hone in on what I do know. What do I know? I know this. My God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? I'm defining sovereignty as perfectly, holy, heavenly, in every way. It means to me that he is ultimately always in charge of everything, even when it doesn't seem like he's in control of something. I believe, I believe that I serve a sovereign Savior. It means that God may not always do right in my eyes, but he will always do righteously in his eyes. I believe God is still in the business of working miracles. I showed you a testimony of somebody who experienced a miracle just to prove that God is still in the business, that these things have not ceased. Because if they ceased, then we would not have a testimony of a miraculous healing over the last 2,000 years. But because we have at least one, and there are many more than that, that means that just because of the one, that God has not ceased to perform those miracles. So I believe that he still can. And I believe that he still will. What else do I understand? Here's what else I focus on. I focus on the fact that my perspective is limited. Like, the Bible says his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He understands things that I'm not going to understand on this side of eternity. Hey, listen, stop telling people when they ask tough questions, stop saying it just takes faith. No, no, no. God doesn't want us to just believe with faith. He's actually very reasonable. Science proves scripture. History proves scripture. Archaeology proves scripture. Ancestry proves scripture. And then sometimes the Holy Ghost will show up and prove scripture. He's a very reasonable God. It's not just faith. Now, he requires faith because without faith, we can't please him. But I know and I believe that my answers are limited as long as I'm still here on earth. And his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth. How high are the heavens above the earth? Well, we found a star and a galaxy 13 billion light years away. 13 billion light years. What is a light year? It's the distance that you could travel in one year if you had the ability to travel 186,000 miles per second. Now listen, I've driven 100 miles an hour. Not in Eunice. 
BC. But I don't have the ability to travel 186,000 miles per second in one year. Much less do that a billion times and make it to the furthest thing that we know of that God has created in the atmosphere. Okay, what does that mean? It means that there's a lot of things about God that I don't know. And I understand that. And I'm okay with it. Often, in fact, I feel better about what I don't know than when I find things out that I didn't want to know. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit tells me things about you. I didn't want to know. Some of y'all put it on social media and just tell everybody. Like, ain't nobody needed to know that. And you posted it on purpose. Now I feel differently about you. I didn't want to know that. One time I was trying to go to sleep at night. My wife, who has the ability to multitask and not really get hung up on one thing, she leans over with her phone while I'm falling asleep and goes, Did you know that? And I read it and I looked at it and I said, No, and I didn't need to know. It's 10 o'clock at night. So I laid there for the next 40 minutes thinking about something I didn't need to know, didn't want to know, didn't even ask to know, and she went to sleep. That's a true story. There are some things that I will not understand on this for instance, and I celebrate, but why did God heal Micah Berto's daddy, Glenn Berto, who pastors a church over in California, and he preached back in his sermon after he had the same experience that my father had in 2009, and he healed Micah Berto's daddy, but he didn't heal Marshall Fry and Chris Fry and Hayden Fry's daddy. I don't get that. So what do I do with it? I trust God. Here's what I know. You ready? I know that Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same. He's the same for Micah Berto as he is for Chris Fry. He's the same as he was in the Gospels and the stories that I read as he is today in the stories that I need to be reading. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Guys, especially for me, especially when it doesn't look like he is. So don't get stuck on extremes. I have a friend, some of you have heard this story. I have a friend named Josh at LSU Shreveport, African-American young man, about six foot, one inch, not very tall. He was just a little bit taller than me. But he could jump. Y'all, I'm talking, my man could, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, he could touch that ceiling. He could jump up and touch the top of the backboard. Unbelievable athlete. So he's playing in a game and there was a, a loose ball. And he goes up for the ball and he grabs the ball. And somebody like me that can't jump as high as him. It wasn't me. I was in the bleachers because I wasn't good enough at basketball. <laughs> Bumped his leg. And when he was coming down, he landed on his neck and his neck broke. On the court. 99% chance he would never walk again. Right there. 99% chance. I went to the hospital. This is my friend. The entire basketball team was there. The coach was there. And I, I wasn't, this wasn't like a, I was on staff at a church. I was living for, I was, I don't even, I was like, if I was saved, I was not very well sanctified. Like God still had a lot of work to do. And he still does. But I went in and I just, I mean, I feel like we're supposed to pray. The coach said, let's pray. By the way, the coach is the athletic director at Calvary Christian Academy to this day. Um, 
And we laid hands on Josh, and Josh began to move his feet and wiggle his toes. And a year later, Josh made All-American again for LSU Shreveport and played an incredible season. God healed. God healed. I, I was told after this service today, after this service today, Pastor, you remember when I called the church and, and, and I, I called you and, 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 and you guys found out that, that, that my wife had had a stroke and she wasn't responding and she wasn't communicating and, and you guys started praying and by the time we got to the hospital, she stood up out of the wheelchair and was walking around, didn't even know what happened. You guys remember when the church prayed and my wife was healed? Do you guys remember? I was like, no, I forgot. That is so sweet though. <laughs> I do remember. I remember the time that that the doctors thought that one of my children may have some bone cancer and they were going to do a bone marrow test. And I was like, <laughs> I took every ounce of oil in my house. I'm talking peanut oil, cooking oil, olive oil, whatever's in this thing. I took everything I had and started throwing it on my baby. And we started praying and believing. And they checked the platelets that had been down for the last two months. And they said, we don't know what happened, but his platelets are where they're supposed to be. Because Jesus still heals. Jesus still heals. I don't know what happened. Pastor Brian Jarrett's son, who had a major, a life-threatening issue in his heart. Pastor Brian was over in India. His son is facing a, a very difficult situation. And the pastor of the church in India says, hey, we want to pray for your son. Now listen, when people in India pray, they pray. They don't watch other people pray. They pray. It's not weird when everybody starts praying. In fact, it's weird if you're not praying. You know, kind of like here when I say let's all pray and like seven people start praying and then other people are like, I can't believe they're praying. Oh, it's so weird. I'm so uncomfortable. It's because you're unfamiliar in the presence of God and you need to get more familiar. And as you become more familiar, you'll become more comfortable. But in that moment, the whole church started praying. And y'all, I was watching the video, Pastor, uh, Dr. Brian Jarrett. Pastor Brian showed this video to his church as a testimony. Y'all, the camera was shaking. These people were praying so hard. Like they were stuffed into a little room with no air conditioning and they they weren't complaining about it being cold or hot. They were just there. And so they were all praying. And, and, and according to Pastor Brian Jarrett's testimony, God moved on his son while he was in India and performed a miracle in his heart. One more. Pastor Chris Hodges, I heard him tell this story. He said his dad had uh, cancer in his jaw and they were going to have to remove some of the nerve endings of, of his father's face. And the doctor said that your father is not going to be able to eat, smile, talk. None of those things. It's going to be very difficult recovery. But I think we can get to the cancer. Do you all want to do it? He said, let's do it. Pastor Chris came in the day after the surgery. It was supposed to be weeks of recovery. His dad was up in the hospital bed, smiling, laughing, talking, and eating breakfast. Pastor Chris Hodges called the doctor of the, that performed the surgery. He said, hey, I thought you told my, said you guys were going to have to remove nerve endings and my dad wasn't going to be able to eat or talk or smile for like several months. And the doctor said, he's not. He's not going to be able to. And Pastor Chris Hodges said, well, somebody needs to tell my dad because he's in here eating and talking and laughing with us right now. The hospital in Birmingham, this just a few years ago, the hospital in Birmingham, Alabama declared his father a modern-day medical miracle right there whenever that took place. And then he died two years later of the same cancer. Fit that into your theology. <laughs> what do we do with that? What do we do with the man, Joe McNeely, who was at Louisiana Tech in the 1970s with Pastor Denny Duran, and he wasn't saved and he was crazy, according to the testimony of Pastor Denny. He would come in and grab Pastor Denny, and they would go, he would pull him into the bathroom stall. 
and say, Pastor Denny, I need Jesus. I almost died yesterday. And he was like, well, Joe, I can't baptize you in the toilet. Maybe can we go out of the stall? Because he didn't want other people to hear. Like, this, you know, this guy's trying to, he pulled a gun on me and it didn't, it didn't fire. And just all this, just emotionalism, right? Ultimately, Pastor Denny ended up praying with him and leading him to Jesus. Pastor Denny performed his, performed, officiated his memorial service, his funeral. By the end of his life, Joe McNeely was a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, although he was a phenomenal. If you go to Louisiana Tech's website today, he's in the Louisiana Tech Hall of Fame for his ability in football. But he was a quadriplegic before the end of his life. According to his testimony, and he didn't word it this way, I'm wording it for you. He says, I, I think that God put me in this wheelchair because even though this wheelchair limited me in life, it saved my soul. Why does God do some things sometimes and not do some things other times? I don't know. Here's what I do know. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Do you know how foolish this is? That Paul would write this? Guys... Paul suffered the same Roman flogging that Jesus almost died from. When Pilate, the Roman governor, took him to receive the lashing of the Romans. Paul suffered that lashing five different times. And this guy writes, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Like, you foolish Christian, I'm going to beat you again just for writing dumb stuff. He wrote it five times. He wrote it and suffered it five times. It was, like, it was like when Stephen, you remember the story in the book of Acts when Stephen was being stoned to death and he's looking up in the heavens singing praises to God, worshiping Jesus while he's getting hit in the head with rocks and being stoned to death. Why? Because nobody can separate you from your Savior unless you allow them to. In the moment of your greatest stoning, you can still sing your praise to God because that's what he put in you. And Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Wait, okay, that means Paul's going to die. So which one is it, Paul? Is God going to rescue you from having to suffer anything? The power of the resurrection or the fellowship of his suffering? No, 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 Paul didn't separate the two like we do. Paul said... And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him, to God, be the glory forever and ever. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered this, that sometimes God's answer to prayer is heaven. That's not a cop-out. That's eternal. Sometimes God's answer to prayer is heaven. I have prayed over people. That I was believing God to wake up. I have prayed over people. I was believing God to stand up. I have laid hands on eyes. I was believing God to open up. And I even said in one of those prayers, despite what took place, and sometimes I've seen the supernatural, and sometimes I've wondered why I didn't see the supernatural. But I heard in one of those prayers as I was praying one time, and I mean it, God. I don't mean a cop out like they're going to be healed in heaven. And I heard, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, hang on, son. Hang on. It's not a cop out for me to heal in heaven. 
That's the greater miracle. Because healing on earth is temporary at best. But healing in heaven is eternal. And you're going to be with him there a lot longer than you are anyone else here. So now let's read James 5.15. The prayer of faith will save. Oh, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. When? Doesn't matter. I trust him. Because he sees in ways that I don't see. And he knows things that I don't know. Some of them I don't want to know. I trust him. I trust him. Verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Write this down and I want to show you this scene. God gets the glory. Let me show you a scene of four friends that believe this. Jesus of Nazareth! I saw what you did to the leper on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. your tablet at least. Harry! Is he in danger? I don't know. No, I don't think so. He's got room in there? Yes. Can you believe we're really here for this? Yes. authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, my son, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus needs some people to believe despite what they've seen. I believe that Jesus still needs some people to pray despite how they feel. I love this passage. I, I won't read the entire thing to you, but Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. I don't know if you noticed or not, but they weren't there for forgiveness. They were there for themselves. Remember the point is God gets the glory. In fact, it's the sermon title today. The Pharisees begin to question Jesus. By the way, not out loud. Who is this that speaks these blasphemies? Who is this the man that thinks he has the authority to forgive sins? And the Bible says Jesus perceived their thoughts. Be careful what you think when you're around the Holy Spirit. We stand around Jesus, Jesus turn around and say, I heard that. Like, I ain't say nothing. No, I heard you. <laughs> I don't even want that gift. So then Jesus says, I love this. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to what? To heal? To make people raised from the dead? To open up blind eyes, unlock deaf ears, make a lame man walk. 
make a mangled arm stretch out, make a heartbeat continue. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. The greater miracle. It's why God needs people to go on mission trips and pray prayers that missionaries have already prayed. Some kind of childlike faith just wrapped up in the excitement of the moment so that you may know. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He'd already forgiven his sin. He already spoke that part. Verse 25, immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home. I love this, glorifying God. If God can get the most glory and win the most people, he'll perform the miracle. But if he needs to leave somebody in a wheelchair so that they'll stay saved, then he'll leave them in a wheelchair. If he needs to bring them home, he'll bring them home. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. He will do what needs to be done so that he receives the most amount of glory and the most souls are one in that moment. That's what he'll do. And he needs somebody to believe in signs and wonders and not just come in wise words, but in demonstrations of the Spirit's power, just like Paul did. And then sometimes he needs somebody to believe despite what they didn't see. It says, verse 26, amazement seized them. When is the last time that you looked at what God has already done and allowed amazement to seize you? Preacher, why does God allow so many evil things to happen? That's a great question. Why would a just, perfectly, holy, heavenly Father allow so much offense and evil to continue to exist? It seems like He would just set it on fire and bring some people home. But he allows the evil to exist because he's not done saving people out of the evil. He has so much grace and mercy that he allows evil to endure because eternity is a lot longer than the evil that is taking place temporarily. He's got a plan for that. He is sovereign and he is in charge. Why would he allow such evil? You're right. Why hasn't he already dealt with all of us and all of our evil and all of our sin and all of our arrogance and all of our pride and all of our lies? Because it is the will of God that none should perish, but that all, they were seized and they glorified God filled with awe saying we have seen extraordinary things today I'm going to land this plane right here if, if you want a little extra reading just this afternoon you can read the parallel passage to Luke chapter 5 it's in Matthew chapter 9 this same miracle Matthew records it I love how they made Matthew and the chosen like just little Mr. Recorder <laughs> why would it not have details mine will have details He's recording everything and he records this miracle. But then he records the, spe the specifics that followed this miracle. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, after this miracle that we just watched. By the way, 
I know some scholars that believe, some preachers that have preached that this was the miracle that caused the Pharisees and the Romans to want to kill Jesus. Like if he wouldn't have done this one, they may have let him live longer. Jesus knew that healing this man was going to bring a deathly amount of attention. And he did it anyway. Why? Well, let's keep reading. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew records, Jesus went out through every city and village. Teaching in there. By the way, Jesus doesn't want to just plant a church in cities that are already healthy. He wants to put a church in some villages that need a church in that area to make that place healthy. God doesn't need a city to support a church. He wants to build a church to support a city and support a village and support an independent district and support whatever it is that he has in store for the people of that area. Jesus went into all those places. And he just invited himself to teach in the synagogues. And he proclaimed, remember this is called kingdom culture. We're just stuck in it. All the sin and sickness and evil and lack of perfection going on around us. Complain about the culture or contribute to the kingdom. We have two choices. He saw the crowds. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, healed every disease and every affliction. Verse 36, but when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd over the last two months. And it'll probably happen again because God's still training me and molding me and honing my character. But over the last two months, I have been stared in the face to say, you're no pastor. I was like, you're right. I ain't trying to be here. God's making me do this. You're supposed to be a pastor. And in my head, I'm thinking, right now, I'm not your pastor. Right now, I'm here on somebody else's behalf. And I make people mad whenever I'm shepherding a sheep that they're trying to hurt. I mean, in my heart, I got a staff, and I just took them out. I can't do that for real because that's a good way to get arrested. (laughs) But if it ever looks like to you that I'm in a place and I'm not being very pastoral, it's because right then I'm not being a pastor to that person, I'm being a shepherd to somebody else that they're trying to take advantage of, and I will always be that way. God help me to discern when to and when not to. Okay, here's the passage, ready? This was the purpose of all the healing. This is how Matthew concludes. Verse 37, so Jesus says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are, no, 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 they're distracted. There's plenty of us. There's enough people in this room to win this city. There's enough people on the high school and the junior high and the elementary and the college campuses, which is, by the way, the greatest mission field in the face of the earth. There are enough people in your office that claim they know and believe in the name of Jesus to become part of the laborers that would win the harvest that God already has. But we're distracted. We, in, we invest in the same that they invest in. Our emotion and our time and our energy. We're offended by the same things that an unbeliever is offended by. We write people out of our lives for the same reason that the unbelievers write people out of their lives. 
We carry the same bitterness and unforgiveness that the unbeliever carries for God and the people that he's put in our lives. There's plenty of us. There are 70 million Assembly of God adherents around the world. Supposedly, 30% of the United States population claims to be Christian. A third of our country claims to be Christian and we get on social media and complain about the people that aren't Christian instead of contributing to the kingdom to make sure that more people are Christian. Because the strength of the church is not found in how many pastors they can hire. The strength of the church is found in how many unpaid people are willing to serve and minister in the face of persecution. Especially when it doesn't feel good. Especially when they don't see what God had supposedly promised. So then Jesus says this in verse 38. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. To send out laborers. Pastor Dylan pointed this out to us in creative meeting because he had had another pastor tell him this often. And I believe it's okay to pray for souls and to pray for a harvest and pray for people to be saved. But often we spend too much time praying for the harvest. In fact, we look at the strength of a church as to how many people they have sitting in the seats. When the harvest was never ours to pray for. The Bible says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He doesn't say pray for the Lord, pray to the Lord for the harvest. He says pray to the Lord of the harvest. What does he say to pray for? He says to pray for laborers, for people to rise up and catch the heart of God and begin to win more people. Why? Because Jesus still heals and God gets the glory. But Paul said some plant and some water and some consume even the planting and the watering. But my God is the one who will bring the harvest to pass. Jesus heals for the sake of the harvest, but he needs more laborers. Come on, I'm not saying there's not times where you can't be ministered to as well I'm just saying Christianity is becoming a little bit obese he doesn't just fill you with his spirit so that you can become secure in a seat because the strength of a church is not in their seating the strength of a church is in their sending Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. So let's pray like Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I thank you for your word. God, I pray for anybody in here who has suffered. God, who is carrying the weight that this life causes us to carry. Lord, I lift them up to you right now. I, I see their tears. You see their tears, but you gave us a promise, God, that every single tear that is sown in this life shall reap in shouts of joy in the next life. You harness them.
So God, begin the process today, right now. Even perform the divine, supernatural miracle and heal their heart today. Not to move on, no, 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 but to move forward. To live the life that you've called them to live. Believe for the supernatural and give you the glory in the natural. God, right now, I lift them up to you. And I pray that the peace of God just blow through this place. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Right now, right now. You've been carrying bitterness for years. I cast it off of you in Jesus' name. Now you receive. Let Jesus forgive. Come on, you've been carrying that weight long enough. What's the greater miracle? That he could heal a body? Or he could deliver us? Come on, that he could give us a perspective from, from his seat. Lord, move in this room right now. Move online right now. Move in a living room right now. I pray that the healer would come. I call upon Jehovah Rapha to physically heal, spiritually heal, mentally, emotionally. Freedom reigns where the Spirit of the Lord is. Healing in Jesus' name. God, right now I lift up anybody that's not confident of who they are in you. They haven't been following you. They're not living for you. We talked about confession a lot today. I'm inviting them right now to receive your salvation and confess you as Lord of their lives. If that's you this morning, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, I want to invite you, as so many have already positioned themselves, I, I want to invite you to just open your hands in your lap where you're sitting. You may want to raise your hands in the air but at least open them up in a posture of surrender, just as an act of obedience. Signifying that, that you understand the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now. Lord, that's me. You're admitting to yourself and Him. That's me. If you need to receive salvation today for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm going to invite you to pray. But church, I want to ask that you would join us. Would you pray loud so that anybody that needs to pray this prayer today would be confident enough to, to pray out loud and know that they're not alone? Come on, if that's you, let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me for my unbelief, my doubt, my disobedience. I believe, I confess right now, you died on the cross. You shed your blood. You paid for my sin, but you were raised from the dead so I could be born again. I believe you gave your life so I could live. I can be saved. I can be baptized. I can be healed. I can have hope. So right now, take my life and make it yours. I surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?